Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the Associate Editor of Resonant Advisor. On this week's exchange, we sit down with Dylan Hermelein, the Dutch DJ and producer better known as 2001. Hermelein has, as they say, been around the block. He put out his first record in 1990, and barring a short break later in that decade, he's been utterly devoted to dance music since then, DJing, making tracks, running a small cluster of labels, including Remote Area 100% Pure. It hasn't always been easy, but in the end, Hermelein amassed a staggering catalog of productions and helped define a generation of Dutch DJs and producers. I caught up with him at our office in Berlin to talk about what the last 26 years were like from his perspective. You can hear our full archive of exchanges at resonantadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The Exchange of 2001, up next. Everybody asks what your name means. That's not basically the reason I bring it up is because I know that part of the reason 2001 mm. sort of sounded cool to you um, was because at that time it was futuristic. Is it you know a year kind of in the distant future? And sitting here today, it's the opposite. It's a, it's a time that we actually can feel nostalgic for. You know. Um, <laughs> I guess this is when I think about all these parties and festivals and um, making records and uh, all these sort of extraordinary moments. Um, at this point, do you still have, you know, the experience of having an extraordinary moment like that, like an extraordinary party, or just can things still feel um, amazing to you at this point? Well, it's like a continuation of uh, amazement feelings. I've Most of the feelings I had already experienced all the parties, but when I get into those parties, I still feel amazed like it is the first time. It might sound cliche or something, but it feels not all, but basically a lot of them feel like the first experience because it's like a continuation of the same feeling. So the feeling doesn't go away. It just stays and is kind of different due to the fact that it's like... Uh, uh, 10 years ahead or 20 years ahead, but the feeling is basically pretty intense like it was the first time. Hmm. Yeah. And I know there are kind of like, it kind of comes in waves, it seems like, or you've had these moments over your career where um, there's a distinct moment where you, you know, sort of get way back into it. Is that right? That's right. That's correct. It's like uh, the I've been doing this kind of music for three decades now, and uh, it comes and it goes, you know? Like also with the, the certain styles which are uh, 
you know, techno comes, techno goes, house music comes, house music goes, and all these subgenres. Like I just said before, it's so intense, also with the diversity of the styles, and I kind of experimented with all of all of them. You yeah. know, that that's that makes it so interesting. For me, it's so difficult to stay to stick in only, for example, a specific style of, for example, Chicago house music or Detroit techno. Sometimes it can be, you know, doing experimental stuff, electronic. Like I also did drum and bass and dark ambient stuff, uh, even down tempo, loungey, trip hop kind of stuff. It's basically all this this spectrum of electronic music which has evolved in the last three decades. For me, that's what is, keeps it interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to imagine that the time that you got into it and kind of, you know, um, the age you were, you were perfectly at the right moment to watch the entire thing, you know, unfold. Like you were there buying records when all these subgenres you just mentioned first came out. What do you think about... Um, the way it is now, like, does do you, do you feel like um, things back then came out at a more sort of exciting rate, or does it feel like maybe things aren't as fresh these days, or how does it feel from your perspective? Uh, well, at that time, what you mentioned, it was all new, so all the genres were new, and that was so excited. Now we can real, I can realize that it was all zero day in all those genres, and nowadays. You can say, well, is it new or is it we've already done it before? But nowadays I can hear, for example, people say that my sound sounds old school, but it then has also a combination of old school and new school, uh, like new influences. So you can say, okay, we've been there, we've done that, but it's, there's also a new element involved with the genres the evolving now. And that still makes it, same interesting as it was back in the days for example i can imagine people who are now 18 or 21 who get into this music for them the feeling is exactly the same i guess what the feeling in the beginning was that must be because the experience as a person the interaction with that music you know is the is the first interaction and it doesn't matter if it's already there for a long time you know because back in the days Older people were saying, well, this music was evolved from disco. It's the same, you know, we've been there already. But it, it was not. It was completely new. And that's also, it's not new, new, but the experience of the newness is the same. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, over the, over the years, you've um, seemed like you've had a very kind of hungry approach to, to the whole thing. And um, as you said, you made records in almost every imaginable style yeah. of dance music. As far as I could tell, you had about a half a dozen different record labels at one point or another. Um, and then, of course, on top of that, like DJing all the time. These days, what's your main thing that, that you're working on? I, mean, I know you're making records and DJing and stuff, but what what's the sort of, um, what are your main projects at this point? At this point, I'm exploiting the 2001 project, which I started in 1990, which is the Detroit house techno kind of influence. And nowadays I'm really doing that kind of stuff in my uh, DJ sets and in the studio. So if you li most of the people, when li they listen to it, they say, oh, you have that old school 
Detroit style. And to me, it is the new style for me, hmm. you know? So it's a combination of new techno, like techno, techno, and Detroit kind of influence, which is strong, you know, r deeply rooted into the sound of 2001. And that's what I'm doing for the last three years, really intensively uh, focusing on that Pacific style. Hmm. I guess that's always been the common thread. Exactly, exactly. But nowadays, also, was kind of like maybe 10 years or eight years, seven years ago, it was more kind of a housey kind of flow in that Amsterdam-based sound, which was more like funky kind of uh, club music rather than strong Detroit festival techno. And that, that last is what I'm really focusing on now because I really feel close to that uh, emotionally, you know? Why do you think that is? Why is the Detroit stuff doing it for you right now? The first emotion was, I remember back in the days, in 1988 when i was listening to acid house music and there came a record across which was called the dance by derek may and that was a kind of weird acid sound and that that was called detroit techno and that style is so futuristic and it still is now so that there's so much respect and so much joy into that fact that it's all for you know since 30 years and it's still fresh. So that in the studio, when I'm making those kind of beats, then I still feel like I get excited, like, wow, this is great how they, those guys invented that stuff. And did they even realize that it is like such a timeless kind of uh, dance music? And that, that turns me on. And mm. also when I see, when I see the reaction of the crowd, especially the young crowd, and after Madija says, they come to me and say, wow, this kind of music, man. It's, I just realized and found out that I wasn't even born and it still sounds the same, even those old records. So that, that's, that's pretty exciting to mm. me when I hear that from young people and then I feel the same uh, emotional you know, feeling of that, that true sound. So that's the reason why I stick to that kind of style currently. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Um, people often say it's about Acid House, but just earlier today when I was listening to some of your old Acid records, it is hard not to think, like, it's pretty weird how easily this could come out today as a new record, and, you know, no one would think it's it sounded old. It, it sounds completely, yeah, as you said, kind of timeless. So in a way, um, hearing Acid House for the first time, as, as far as I understand, that was kind of the, like, moment for you where that's sort of what did it. It's interesting that all these years later, that's what you've sort of come back to, and it sounds like you're kind of that same experience that you had, it's intentionally or not, you're kind of giving that to people that, you know, are as old as you were then. At that time, I was really young. I was the youngest around uh, others. and uh, Like youngest in the, in the scene? In yeah. the scene, yeah, especially in Amsterdam. I was, was one of the youngest uh, persons who was making a, actually a record, you know. And then this guy came up to me, he was like a, newspaper reporter and he said that's unbelievable such a young guy making that kind of music and from amsterdam you know because that's acid house style was done by the guys from chicago like armando and future and dj pierre it was it was so excited at that time and but that acid house what you mentioned that is 
so simple music, but so original. With that, only with that 808 or 6, 606 and a 303 Roland bass line. It's, it's, it still is the same, you know. It kind of evolved and then influence of Detroit techno came into it. And then that whole thing became techno. But, you know, at that time it was a, a, a separate genre, like hmm. acid house music, you know. How old were you exactly when you put out that first record? I started in 88 got involved with that music a year later i came across the 303 bass line in the 606 drum computer made the tracks in 89 and released the record in 1990 like the beginning i think it was january 1990 hmm. at that time <laughs> and you were already kind of involved in the yeah. club scene in exactly i was buying records i was really young so it was difficult to get into all those fancy clubs but I was buying the records at the record store. At that time, they were like all on discount because nobody wanted to buy them. At the that acid time. records, you mean? <laughs> yeah, the acid house, the the was that the tracks records. That was at that time. It was maybe two euros or something if you translate it back into it was a, a whole all the new records. So I was listening to and. And, and buying and playing that stuff. I wasn't DJing regularly, just small bedroom parties. And the, the, when the record came out in 1990, that kind of blew up because I was one of the only persons who was doing that. So then I got asked to do a live performance of the the 606 and the 303 hmm. on just improvising on parties. <laughs> that really blew up because that, yeah, was just hitting the buttons and <laughs> go for it, basically. But that was really exciting, hearing that stuff on a, a large PA. Mm. And it just sounded exactly like uh, the records from Chicago, because those were the machines. What kind of music was popular in, in Amsterdam at that time, when you started playing all that stuff? Uh, the acid house music was like the underground stuff, so that was already underground popular where the the kind of pia piano kind of house music ibiza style at the moment so at that time we called it like really commercial kind of focalist house music and sometimes the my favorite dj at the time at the roxy was dj dimitri he was doing all those experimenting with detroit techno sound and with chicago acid house and his party on the Thursday and later on the Friday became really popular during the early 90s, like 92, 93, 94, at the peak, at 94, I think. And most of the parties around Amsterdam were, yeah, maybe more the catchy kind of house records, which are now classics. But at that time, they were, for me, they were kind of mm, cheesy sounding, you know, but all, that's what how it blew up when it came from Ibiza, all those ravey kind of piano records and vocalist riffs and samples. Most of them later came from the UK. Like for example, uh, Playing With Knives from Bizarre Inc. was a really big record. And of course that uh, Technotronic, Pump Up The Jam, which was a big, big, big one. It began at the club and later it was you know, in the mainstream uh, uh, chart. 
But those kind of records, or the Humanoid by Stacker, that was a big one as well. That was actually a real Acid House mm. record, which was number one in the UK for a while. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So basically all that, which now consider old school classics, those were all played around all the parties in Amsterdam and the clubs. So when you showed up and started playing these acid jams, was that just was it more raw and intense than what you you normally hear in a club? Yes. Yeah, this, that was the stuff I was doing and into was was more played on like underground warehouse parties, you know. Those were like you said the raw not so common the raves. Mm. Yeah, not not all the known DJs were playing there because it was too difficult already mm. at that time for the most of the people. So, but the, those parties were for me like the best because the most futuristic kind of techno and acid was being played there by uh, by the underground DJs. Did you ever get a bad reaction? Not myself, but I witnessed one time when a DJ was playing at the Roxy and then the, the staff was complaining hmm. about the music was too difficult. <laughs> they rather wanted to hear something more uplifting. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask you, I heard a story about the first, this, your sort of mo moment of first hearing an Acid House record. Um, you were at a record store in London. Um, would you mind sort of... Yeah, I was. The, the the thing was this: I was buying uh, regularly records in London because before my uh, uh, techno house period, I was into hip hop music, and I had the luxury that my father was working for uh, uh, Royal Dutch Airlines, so I could fly very cheap once in a while to buy actually good records because the record stores in London carried all the good hip-hop stuff but also the rare grooves the funk breaks and so during the beginning of 88 those record stores were importing of course from the united states hip-hop music but also at a certain moment the house and the acid and the detroit techno stuff came along so the guy in the in the shop was playing that kind of music through the sound system in the record store so i was like wow what is this kind of freaky electro sounding futuristic stuff because yeah the electro what i'm talking about is that old school electro boogie electro mm, right you know and then i came across with that sound and then the guy behind the counter said yeah we also do party so maybe here's a fly you can come to the party tonight tonight went to that party and I was like, wow, what's going on? What is this? It was, the first experience was, what is this crazy music? I've never heard this before. Not realizing that it would be such a big genre, sub genre of a whole complete genre, what's going to blow up for the next decades. You know? Thinking about, with that knowledge now knowing, it's that 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 gives me goosebumps, you know, because at that time it was wow, this is a, this is a crazy record. <laughs> and yeah, and then he played tons of those records because he got a whole package of releases at that time, yeah, of new stuff from Chicago, and it's weird now knowing that that you know with the knowledge you have now, like yeah, those records just came in the record stores and they would. The, the the maybe the people who were ordering that stuff never heard it before 
too. So they thought like, okay, well, let's try it out. <laughs> Whose party was it? I think it was Baby Ford. Right, right, Baby right. Baby yeah. Ford, yeah. Peter Ford at that time. And he had, I think, it, he, but he was also into the music because he had this track, I think it was later, it was Uchi Kuchi or something like this. It was amazing. Yeah. That's kind of a funny coincidence too that yeah. Yeah. you end up seeing Baby Ford you know, playing. <laughs> yeah, but at that time, you know, it was he, he was just starting with that music also. He came across, maybe he knew it longer already because he was older, but yeah. It was new for everybody, I guess. It was guess. new for everybody, yeah, exactly. So how did you know that all the good record stores were in London? Or how did you become this kind of record you know, digger at such a young age? Yeah, because I got into music very early. I was buying my records already when I was 12, 13 years young. And my dream was to buy one record every week. That was my biggest wish. <laughs> and uh, I came across with that stuff yeah, during kind of pirate radio stations in the Netherlands, they were playing. I was always interested in kind of crazy so sounding music and the the, 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 the hip-hop, early hip-hop stuff like Beastie Boys, Run DMC, uh, Cybertron, that stuff really got me going. So I was collecting those records, going to the record stores in, uh, in Amsterdam. But at a certain moment, they had a they didn't carry all the stuff. It was too little because the, 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 it was too underground. The mm. stuff didn't sell. And then, I don't know how that got started, but uh, maybe through the DMC mixing championship that mm. all the stuff was happening in London. So my father said, yeah, why don't we go there? Because we can go up and down for a really cheap fare and then sort it out. So I first went with my father or my mother to all those records, those groove records, spinning records, uh, and that, that was heaven. They, they carried all the stuff. So I was explaining to the the, the guys in the at the counter, I want this, this and that kind of stuff. And he said, you know, we got all, we got all what you want. And I saw all the ultimate breaks and beats and all the rare grooves, and uh, it was unbelievable that they carried all the stuff because they imported much more to London than than, they, than Amsterdam was importing that the, the stuff so that's then that was the the, the reason why I came reg on a regular basis like maybe that started in 86 87 well then 86 87 88 and then the spring of 88 was the encounter with the house music so <laughs> It was just forced upon me, you know. I was in the record store, so yeah, that that that, that that's really amazing. If I think uh, I did now, okay, now. And so, how did you get from there to being two thousand one? Um, you know, being a DJ and producer. I know you started it with someone else, right? Exactly. I started together two thousand and one with uh, my friend at the time, uh, uh, DJ Dano, who later became like a hardcore, hardcore Gabber DJ. <laughs> We, we did the, the first project together, then we did the set, second project together on a, a Dutch label based in Eindhoven called Evolute Records. Then we kind of split up and I uh, continued with 2001, which was at that time only one project I was doing. I was doing, at, in the 90s, I must say that people were doing multiple projects, mm -hmm. uh, like 
2001 project Detroit Techno, doing edge of motion, acid house uh, kind of hard stuff, doing, uh, you know, kind of uh, babies from Gong, doing freaky kind of down tempo stuff. And the 2001 project, which I'm DJing under the name now of 2001 more often, basically got during the last, you know, the first decade, it was multiple projects. Then the, the second decades in the early 2003, 2004, starting that project again with Detroit Techno. And then I thought, okay, maybe now I should stick to one name and not doing multiple projects. And then I continued with the 2001, make, making more records under that name, got more known, played out at more at that time. So that's how I decided to continue with that project alone, mm. which I'm still continuing now. So, Why do you think it was like that? That, or Sorry, I guess I, the way I should put it is um, what you just said about how you've, you've got a million different projects. Um, was that a normal way of doing it back then? Was that common? That was really common. Uh, there weren't many people who were producing under their real given name. And so they made up kind of aliases and they they had multiple like for example a good friend of mine uh, steve rahmat he had multiple projects at that time as well you know sterak tons of tones a lot of people i think maybe 80 percent of the producers were doing that at the time it was more maybe yeah it was a fashion but i don't know it was like a trend everybody was doing that and later on maybe the end of the 90s there came a new wave of producers and DJs who were doing using their real name, like Adam Bayer, Kari Lekkerbush, you know, all those real, real names. And then the, the multiple projects disappeared. So when I started in 2003 again with my project, I thought mm, I should stick to one name, not too much diversity. <laughs> And, and then now at the time I see more diversity uh, starting, you know, and more names behind the name. So, you know, more monarchies mm -hmm. than the real given name. It's interesting how it all comes back. Mm. So as I understand it, the name was basically your the code for your bank card, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was in 1984. I got my first bank card card and the, the code was 2001 and that was such a coincidence it wasn't but i thought hey let's do it and i was also a fan of uh, the movie of course and the book and then what you mentioned in the beginning of the interview it was far ahead in the future so it was like futuristic sounding so let's do it 2001 make it more kind of uh, fancy uh, do 2000 as numbers and end one written <laughs> and now it's ancient history <laughs> and um is it right that there was for some reason you had to come up with a name quickly all of the names yeah because we were making the the the, the, the tapes and then we came across uh first ruling diva who were running the Lower East Side uh, record label, and they said, let's make a record. And then we had to invent a name. So it was maybe we had to do it in, in a couple of days or 24 hours like this. Yeah, so that that that's how it started. It was not like we started 
inventing a name and then make mu made music. The music was already there, but because of we had to put out a record, we had to invent a project. Mm. So we had to do it kind of quickly. Yeah, that's correct. So is that the first moment where it kind of became real? Like you didn't messing around and then someone says, I want to put out a record. Let's do this. Yeah. I remember that time when he was saying, yeah, let's make a, we should make a record. We should put this out on record because we're doing the live sets at the party. And first Lundwifa was throwing down that party and he was so enthusiastic. And he said, like, let's make a record uh, together out of it. So that, that was really serious, but I couldn't believe that this was happening because as a record collector enthusiast and then making your own record that's like a dream come true mm. nowadays people putting out records yeah every month if it's, if it's like a normal thing but at that time it was a, a huge milestone it was like wow i can make my own record <laughs> with my name on it and the project name on it and the, the, my music on it and you hadn't envisioned that happening already. You were surprised that it was t that it was happening. Yeah, I was completely surprised it would happen. I dreamed about it, but I was completely su surprised that actually, like a young boy who's becoming like in the future uh, a professional football player, you know, that's the same. It's very rare that it would happen. It's unlikely that it happened, and when it happens, it's still unreal. So it felt completely unreal. From there, over the next. I guess 10 years or so, um, there are a lot of sort of different sounds coming in and out. And as we are saying earlier, you got really into a lot of them. But then there was a period where you weren't feeling it, any, or you, you know, it, it didn't connect with you as much. Which I, think, I think it was that, I guess, the late 90s or so. And what was going on that, that you didn't, you know, connect with anymore? It was... Uh like a combination of uh, uh, things, multiple of things happening at the time. I, I experimented during the whole 90s, like I said, with all the new genres which came across into the electronic music, down tempo, ambient, drum and bass, techno, uh, Detroit techno, etc. And at that time, I felt that it became more like a business, the whole scene. And that that scared me kind of it was a lot of people came in for it for the money and not for of course yeah not only for the love of the music putting out records which they thought they sell playing out tracks what people on the dance floor want to hear mm. and then my distributor at that time was going bankrupt but that same company was also had a different, same owners had a different company who were doing the pressings and I still owned their money from the pressings, but the, the distributor got bankrupt. So you can't really sell those records. Exactly. <laughs> and then also before that time, uh, trance music was becoming very popular from the Netherlands. So I was doing like Detroit stuff and people who were buying that stuff abroad at the wholesale company said, yeah, the records are not selling because it's not good trance sounding music. So it was very depressing for me at the time. Music did not sell, uh, distributor got bankrupt, people making more music because of the only for the money. And I thought I've done it. This is it. This is the end. 
I'm gonna quit doing this stuff. It's already, I did everything, forget about it. And of course, I had to pay back that money. <laughs> At that time I had to work for, I had to do a real, go work for like a real job. I have to do a real job, you know, nine to five style. And I went into the, uh, the IT business and it was good. I could make money and pay off the debt. But after a couple of years, you know, I was very emotional. I still had my studio in the attic and I was afraid to go there. <laughs> and one time I thought, fuck it, I'll go there. And I broke. I was like completely emotional, like, wow, I miss this kind of music so much. And even if I think about it now, it still gives me the chills, you know. Like, so you'd completely shut it out. Like you, when you when you you had the IT job, you just didn't even want to think about, exactly. you know, DJing and making Ex music. Exactly. I was still listening to music at that time, but I was listening to like reggae, dancehall, heavy metal. I think I haven't never said this before, but I was hoping that this whole music, electronic music, was dying off. <laughs> We've had it. <laughs> That's it. It's the end. Because that would be easier somehow. Exactly, exactly. But it kept creeping up to me, like, and then I also, I was, I remember, I was on a, a mutual friend's birthday, his son's birthday party, and then I met a girl who I knew from the nineties, who goes by the name of Shinadu, and I said, "How are you doing? Yeah, good. Are you still doing that house techno music? Yes, of course." And I ask questions. Is D doing it? Is Lauren Gagné still doing it? Is of course they're all huge now. And I was like, wow. And then I thought, wow, man, it's still going on, and but really big. So I said, yeah, why don't you come with me? I have to play next weekend. I think you might like it. It's actually on a festival. It's called Awakenings. And I went there, and I was wow. And then she took me to another festival. I think. I don't know, a couple of months later, Dance Valley in, in the Netherlands. And I think I heard two DJs, two German-based DJs who were from South America. It was Ricardo Villalobos and Luciano playing there. They played, for me, they played old-style music, old-style like early 90s. And people out there saying, yeah, this is the new thing, what's going on? I thought, wow, if this is the new thing... And then I want to join. <laughs> and I was, that, they were playing not only the old stuff, but they were making a perfect combination. Of course, they were playing records who were just brand new at the time. But right. for me, it was sounding old school. <laughs> so I was very excited at that time. What is that sound exactly? That that What made it sound old school? Kind of an, an organic, true sound, which is which you can hear that the person or the producer who's making that music actually feels that music and is making that music because he loves that music. Not like no presets, no preemptive thinking about it. You know, that, that makes it real. Mm -hmm. And they were playing the like a nonstop back to back set for maybe, I don't know, maybe four hours, maybe longer. And so that was a big part of, um, how you got back in or that was that was a key yeah. experience yeah that was the key experience with the combination i said that i was really 
uh, emotional because I mi- I kind of missed it, you know. It sounds like you really missed it. I really missed it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I really missed it. then seeing Shinadu, and then it was. I got convinced by all of those parts, missing it, meeting Shinadu, saying everybody's playing, and they're now huge, and then went to those parties. Those DJs play Ricardo and Luciano, playing all those records. That I thought, I'm gonna have to quit my job. I have to quit my real job. And I remember I was sitting at the at the desk with my manager, and he said, "Ah, you're doing great. Maybe in the next five years you're here, and then in the next ten years you're there, and over fifteen years you're a manager of the unit." I said, "I don't want that." <laughs> and he said, "What do you want?" I said. I want to start my own business. He said, "Real? That sounds great." He thought I was wanting to start my own business in the IT business. Yeah. But I was thought, quit my job. I don't care if I lose money or not. I paid all the debts, but I want to just be part of that music, just the feeling, you know, because that feeling was so intense. And that's how I got back into the whole, uh, yeah music industry again around that 2003 2004 think 2003 and when you had that um i was thinking when you had that the quote-unquote real job had you ever had a real job before not like that yeah because you are you were so young when you got started that yeah that was kind of a, a first first experience um you know working in a normal exactly. office and whatnot exactly i had a job but my job was in, on the thursday and a saturday in a record store <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's basically a playground for me but that was my exactly what you say the real job in a suit and tie and nine to five so now i know how that felt <laughs> and that i don't want to do this anymore in my life Never again. You don't never say never, but I mean, going back to that music industry without even thinking about like how I'm going to pay my rent, how I'm going to live, that didn't matter because that 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 emotional feeling that was the most important thing to, for me. So I started again doing that kind of music and then started. Uh, uh, 100% pure again, starting some new labels, uh, starting a label with Shinadu, and then one from one thing came the other thing, and then I, I put records out, I got to play music more, and, uh, you know, DJing around the world, so... But that was not the key, you know, that was not the, the main thing, that was not the focus on, like, oh, I'm going to start this music again because I want to make money or something like that. You had already had 100%, you had started 100% pure before this break. And so you kind of had, you didn't have to start completely fresh. You could sort of, you know, rekindle some things you already had going, right? Exactly. I started 100% pure in 1993 due to the fact that uh, me and my friend Sandy Hooner were making kind of different kind of uh, uh, uh techno house music and no no other label wanted to release it so we were kind of forced to release it ourselves and we thought we'd do just one wide label and see where it goes and then it got kind of successful in the underground and then we continued the label but like i said before we had to stop at the end of the 90s so and when i started again in 2003 the first thing I thought, I'm going to also pick up my, la- making music and pick up my 100% pure, doing the label again. Mm. 
So I was already, it was, I was kind of not new, but it was still difficult. It was still new because what there were a lot of new people involved who never heard of it because it started after, you know, started at the end of the 90s. But there was, a, for example, Laurent Gagné, who was already, of course, playing a lot of 100% uh, uh, pure stuff in the beginning. He knew that. So I got, we got a lot of support by uh, guys like, like him, you know, him and Sven Fate. So that was, that, that was a good thing that those kind of legendary DJs knew this already so they supported you they supported us yeah they supported us so that was that was that was a really really uh a huge uh, thing for us and what was it like entering into or i guess re-entering into the amsterdam scene the amsterdam scene was at that time to me the amsterdam scene was more a dj based scene there were not so many producers or <laughs> dj producers so I found out there was a lot of a lot of young guys uh, clicked together, doing a lot of parties and playing a lot, and kind of trying to make music, but not not in a professional way, like putting out records. So for me, it was very interesting to connect all of those guys with my experience in the record business and knowing how to release records. So that's how. We got connected, and I started supporting them to to uh, uh, release records, and that's where I started um, a new label, Remote Area, Area Remote, just purely based on those new Amsterdam talented DJs, but who were starting to produce. Mm. So that was really inter interesting when I re-entered uh, the scene back in 2004, 2003 in Amsterdam. So you came back. You weren't just playing music and making records. You were also a certain kind of figure in the scene, um, pushing people towards being producers and releasing their music. Exactly. That was, uh, I was so uh, eager to, uh, so proud, you know, of Amsterdam and Amsterdam back in the days. And I saw this potential new group of young, enthusiastic producers. And I thought I just connect everything together and I will help them out and we help each other just build an Amsterdam-based international, you know, known known in the international scene, you know, mm. Amsterdam-based scene in the whole scene. So that 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 was my goal to make uh, all the producers and the DJs uh, play out uh, across the world and the, that all the music. But at that time, it was really talented uh, producers and a lot of good records came out at that time. So who are some of those artists? Uh, Boris Werner, Bart Skills, uh, Lauhaus, David Labai, Julian Chaptal, Anton Piet, those, and of course Shinadu, but she was already at, in, in the 90s. So basically those, th that was the main group. How did that time off affect um, your, your feeling about the, well, the scene? Exactly, it's a good question because the time off was kind of a recharge also. In, in a creative way. So the beginning, what we just discussed, like the early 90s and end of the 80s, was like a, a, a start of something new. But in 2003, getting involved with 
all the young new generation and me being out of the scene for a while was kind of that same feeling of doing something new it was more like a 2.0 situation hmm. and but it felt really i felt really energetic to do it and also very inspired especially b about the whole international scene being so professional at that time most of the good music was coming from germany you know in that so-called minimal house music period but there was a lot of new producers and a lot of great sound coming from that country and in a combination of those young guys in amsterdam it was yeah it was so good at the time it felt exactly the same as in the beginning it's interesting that um, you said before you were getting a little weirded out at how much of a business it had become but then um later on it's probably not the same thing exactly but you were impressed that it was that it was professional i guess in general it must be strange if you've seen something from the very beginning when it was this tiny un you know com completely unknown thing it must be strange to kind of watch it grow into a world where people are employed and everyone you know is professional and knows knows how to work together i guess yeah that that's great to see that i mentioned before that i got out of that because i was hating that kind of seeing that happen but it also made uh, brought a lot of good things mm. because businesses got more organized so that like managers uh, uh, journalists uh, uh, agents they got more professional and that benefited the whole scene when i got back into the the business in 2003 starting all those the labels again it was much better organized than it was in the early 90s in the early 90s like you mentioned it's kind of it was total anarchy <laughs> if it still was like that probably be, the scene would die out mm. because it was so bad organized so that was that was the good thing and also clubs and parties and especially festivals that was for me surprising that it was so huge and so well done and that's why it's the business is still alive i think because of of that otherwise it i don't know what would happen so that was the, that was the good part of the being it more a business commercial kind of thing hmm. i guess also it's thanks to that element of sort of professionalism that it's possible to stick with it as you know a career i guess like you it might be difficult to stay at it for decades if it was as you said total anarchy yeah completely because nowadays i can say yeah this is my job this is my real job at the moment <laughs> at the beginning it was just a outrage hobby or something like this and now due to that fact of that that whole business being more professionalized everybody has a job in it now there are still some parts in the scene which only focuses on the money thing but there's a lot of a, a huge amount of people who are still doing it or doing it also in a professional way but they make music straight from the heart and that's a good thing i thought the whole scene would be spoiled hmm. with money thing and all the music because for me kind of i always had this also in the past it's not entirely true but for a large amount that when money becomes involved the music changes and not in a good way 
And then a lot of people say, yeah, it's, it's about taste. Of course it's about taste, but people start to think when they go in the studio, I had this huge hit, I should maybe continue that hmm. because it makes a lot of money. And with that knowledge going into the studio, I think it's already kind of spoiled. Hmm. But that's my opinion, you know. So you know, I thought it would happen to the whole scene, hmm. but it did not. That's a good thing. You mentioned earlier that you realized it was possible to be professional and still do it straight from the heart. Um, I guess this, is that kind of how you see yourself? Yeah, at the moment, definitely. And that's also my main goal. If I can pay my rent, pay my expenses, just live a normal life and continue with that kind of music, that's that's my main goal, to continue that, making that kind of music. I don't want to be in a position that I say, okay, I have to make this kind of music because I have to pay my rent. Hmm. Then I have to, you know, that, that that's not a good thing. So for me, I, I want to continue that making music because I like the music, not because I have to. Hmm. Yeah, I liked, um, you had a line in actually your last RA interview yeah. where you said sometimes you feel like people say, oh, I really need to make my next record. I need to go work on my next record. And um, you said something like, yeah, you have to pay your taxes. You shouldn't have to make music. But I guess maybe that's sort of um, sort of a key to what you've been doing this whole time is that you're actually just following your impulse of, what you would enjoy doing or what you like to do. There's, you've never had an element of obligation. Oh, you know, especially when you've been around for such a long time, it's like it goes, business goes up and down. Uh, trends come in and out. So, of course, there's always a period when you have less uh, gigs or less income due to the fact that your music is not popular. But now I know that it, it will come back again. So I, I can understand that it's sometimes difficult, for example, oh, this is this new subgenre, what's coming out. I have to focus on that because that's really popular. That gets you, that's of course. But you should always realize that the good will always come out if you stick to your own feelings rather than focusing on something you might not really like, but it's popular, you know? It's difficult to make that decision, but at the end of the day, it pays out to just go to follow your heart. I guess it might seem like, in a short-term sense, maybe it's not paying off, but as you know, you've found out in the long game, it works. Exactly, exactly. And then I think you can that if you stick with that, you can continue it for another thirty day of three decades, <laughs> <laughs> thirty years. Yeah, why not? I can say this now, like. In the, like a while ago, I thought, like, mm, what's mm, this music? What should I do after? After? What should I do after? Hmm. Then I think, after? Then I'm dead. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. I can say now, as a fact, if I stay healthy and everything, I will continue this music business. Definitely. And I also see, you know, that some people around me, not anymore, but say, yeah, but. DJ's getting old, and what do you think? You, when you're 50 or 55 or 60, still in the DJ boot. But now a whole generation is getting older. That's the first thing what's happening. Hmm. The next thing what's happening, who's the first child of a famous DJ who's going to be 
successful, you know. That that that's that's going to happen next. <laughs> In a way, do you feel um even though it was not a good event at the time, do you feel thankful for that break in a way? I can say now, definitely, because it 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 charged my battery, my my creative battery and my whole uh vision and my whole enthusiasm that what happened. I can say now, even when I felt really sad at the time when I missed my studio and I missed the music and I was hoping that this whole music would die out. I can say now, well, that period might be the reason why you're still going now. So it was like a forced sabbatical, but in a good way.